Even before we were in cages, we were a zoo. It was always morning. Even in the evening, it's morning. We're in the morning zoo. We're trapped. Is that sizzling I hear? Yeah, it's the sizzling of coffee. Ooh. Seven o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning here in the Roosevelt neighborhood of Seattle, Washington. Snowy Seattle, Washington. Washington. We've got the coffee brewing just for you. Coming up next, Bad Company's Bad Company. <laughs> Wait, did they have a song called Bad Company? Bad Company. Was the album? Till the day I die. Bad Company. <laughs> Was the album called Bad Company too? Uh, yeah, I think it was just only words they know. <laughs> and, the, and the complete lyrics to the song were Bad Company. Just bad Company. No, uh, that's that's a thing. That's a thing. There's, you know, Talk Talk had song, album, and band had the same title, and, and so did Bo Diddley, and uh, so did the Starry Mountain Sweetheart Band. That's right. And right. Can we, we New can... album. New album available now. <laughs> I don't know if I'm if I'm not incorrect. When did we t- when did we become the morning zoo? When did that happen? We've always been the morning zoo, John. Morning zoo. We were the morning zoo before there was a zoo. <laughs> even before we were in cages, we were a zoo. It was always morning. Even in the evening, it's morning. We're in the morning zoo. We're trapped. They feed us. People come and gawk at us. They throw peanuts. Morning zoo. We die young. We get bloated in captivity. In the wild, we were solitary. We swung from tree to tree. We were happy then. Morning zoo. Coming up next, bad company. Coming up next, Kronos Quartet. Kronos Quartet. From their new album, Kronos Quartet. Kronos Quartet of the morning zoo. Chamber Music Saturday in the Morning Zoo. <laughs> oh, it's not even Saturday. Who was it that only was it Chauncey the Gardener who could only say uh, who could only speak in gardening talk? Wasn't it right? Cha- Chauncey Gardener, not Chauncey the Gardener? That, that's the that's part of the confusion. <laughs> he is Chauncey the Gardener. But then he becomes Chauncey Gardner in popular culture as he's introduced around. Yeah. Isn't that the name of the guy in um, uh, being there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. All right, I didn't, I didn't remember that aspect of it. So it's, sort of like, it's sort of like the bad company, bad company, bad company thing. It's uh, you're a gardener and your name is Gardner and what? And you only talk about gardening. You only talk about gardening. He was only speaking gardening when he was pressed for something, like when he was speaking to like the president or the pope. Right. He would speak in gardening metaphors that's because that's right. all he could think of, and they would find would great register. wisdom. It would register as profound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they went bad company. All I can say is bad company, but it becomes becomes to seem like a, a, a perpetual font of wisdom. How else? How else explain? The persistence of bad company. If, if people aren't finding something hear, enduring in it, if what you want to hear is wisdom, then that's <laughs> what you're going to hear, whether you're getting it or not. Mm-hmm. More wisdom, double shot of wisdom coming up next on the Morning Zoo <laughs> from their new album, Wisdom. It's the song Wisdom. <laughs>
So uh, it's been a while since we spoke over microphones. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's we getting, we had the privilege of speaking through mouths. It's getting ears. um, it's getting actually, it's getting to be quite a while since we actually saw each other in person. Come to think of it, we, it's been a month since we've done a podcast. Oh. Due due in yeah. part to my travel, in part to your travel, and in part to the Thanksgiving holiday. But um, we're back. I don't see why we shouldn't continue on a week to week basis indefinitely at this point. Do you have anything that's you need they, to do? That's why they call us bad company. <laughs> They're bad company, but at least they show up every week. That's what people I don't, say about us. Yeah. I don't think you should. I think they're really down on themselves. Who? Bad, bad company. Bad company? They're probably not that bad. No. Or <laughs> at least not as bad as they think they are. No, no. At, at accompanying people. Yeah. Guys, you're all right. You're all Probably right. okay to be around, you know? Um, and in the, in the same way, we're not so bad. So we took a month off. We were busy. <laughs> That's right. Where in that time, go? John, in that time since we last spoke, John has released an album with the Starry Mounted Sweetheart Band. Starry, <laughs> with the Royal Mounted Sweetheart Band. <laughs> Wonder Mountain. And, and uh, Escape from Witch Mountain, uh, a Nightmare Band. <laughs> And a book of short stories. Yeah. And uh, called See You Tomorrow. See You in Paradise. See You in Paradise. So long, see you in paradise. So long, see you in paradise. Um, <laughs> that's William Maxwell, right? See you tomorrow. So long, yeah, see you tomorrow. Yeah, so long, see you tomorrow. Also a good book. I'm confused with The Day After Tomorrow, the book that ends with uh, Hitler's head rolling out of a box. That's how all, all books should begin. <laughs> because really, that's that's the beginning of that story. That's it was the, the best of times. It was the worst of times. At the end, Hitler's when they, head rolled out of a box. <laughs> when Hitler's head rolled out of the box, I thought that's where the story begins. Mm-hmm. That's where I want I yeah, want the characters to. Yeah. Well, what do we do next? Mm-hmm. Well, we take this head back with us to I don't know to the lab. Yeah. Call me Ishmael. Mind the head. It's Hitler's. <laughs> Still rolling. <laughs> um so john john has traveled i don't know how many did you you get um air miles do you take advantage you know what uh no i never have this is the crazy thing so i've i've always self-identified as a non-traveler so um when i rarely do travel it's as though i'm i'm starting over as a traveler it always feels like i'm traveling for the first time but as i've gotten older i've actually come to travel quite a lot um, for reasons both personal and professional. And I'm at a point now where I am, in fact, a frequent traveler, but I still have never bothered to start a frequent flyer program. The other thing is um, all the air- airlines uh, suck. They come into Ithaca or they're too expensive. And sometimes I go to S- Syracuse and it's different airlines. And then a lot of my travel is for like a book tour and they're just looking for the cheapest flights. Um, you know, if they, if I, if I wanted, Grey Wolf would try to get me on the air, my airline of choice. But for the most part, because just, where, you don't, you don't have, a, you don't have to have an airline of choice. You just get every time you get enough, taking a new airline, you get a, you just with a, get, with a, get, a, get, a, get a number. You don't have uh, to just have one. You don't have. To, you may, they might have misinformed you that you just had to pick one. Are the points transferable among airlines? Between some, between several of them. What about well I get most of my tickets on Expedia. Will that will is Expedia keeping track of that shit? Yeah. No. Yes. Yes. I All this don't. time you could have you could have been accruing miles. 
Yeah, I sh- especially when I went to Scotland twice with my family yeah. the first time. I should have, I should have been keeping track of all that. I guess you can't do it retroactively, or maybe you can. With all those flights to Scotland, you could have gotten a flight to Scotland. Yeah, or to Albany. <laughs> or to Albany. I think Albany's blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, over, over the years, over the years, I don't, you know, I, I don't travel as much as a lot of people, but I, over the years, it's racked up. A bunch, and I've I've had to use my, been able to use my mileage for uh, trips here and there a few times, a free trip, a little upgrade, yeah. some magazine subscriptions. I think oh. at this point, a lot of the planes are, a lot of the airlines are getting out of the frequent flyer business. I think. Well, that, found that means it's time for me to get in. Time for you to sign up. It's like my in-laws getting into the stock market. You yeah. know, when it was at its its uh, peak. Yeah. Uh yeah, I I feel like uh, it all seems confusing to me, which is silly. I'm a I'm pretty I'm a technically minded guy. I do my own taxes. I know how to operate a computer or a telephone. I could I could figure out frequent flyer programs, but I just my mind turns away in horror from the prospect. This is probably going to sound absurd to people like that i've been flying planes for 20 years and have not had have never used a frequent flyer mile in my life i think it shows your independence <laughs> yeah <laughs> demonstrates yeah, that's... That you're not you're not one to be swayed by no. marketing and don't ask john to take a loyalty oath he no. won't even he won't even get an alaska airline air miles alaska air advantage <laughs> number yeah you know I, what i noticed about alaska airlines um and I'm I was I was delighted by this, and then moments later saddened by it. Is that um, unlike? Hold on, let me find it. Um, their logo, their old logo, their classic logo. Um, it says Alaska Airlines, as you'd imagine it would. And um, okay, this is I think this is it. Uh, and I was shocked to see that it was not the, it's the, you know, it says Alaska Airlines and it's got the picture of, who is that? Who's the fellow on the tail? Uh, I think it's just an Inuit gentleman. I don't know okay. the story. All right. Yeah. Well, you think he's a gentleman, but you don't know him. You don't know him really. Uh, um, I thought Bosby was all right. Yeah, <laughs> you sure did. So okay, here uh, maybe I can drag this thing. I'll I'll just send you a uh, I'll just send you a link on the Skype here. Um, although I can't. There we go. Uh, isn't there supposed to be? We've talked about this before. Isn't there supposed to be a way that you can stick links into Skype and send um, it yeah, to each other? Move your cursor down to the the uh, the bottom of the screen, and a bar should. Emerge. There's a bar. There's a bar down there, but it doesn't. Oh, I think God. it's it's off to the left. There's a like a little dialog box. There is for me. This is so ridiculous. Show send, I am. send files. Oh, here, here oh. let me open it up. This is so you ridiculous. See a little box? Yeah, I see a little notification came in. Oh, there here, it is. Me... I had to hit the notification, and now the box has shown up. All right, so I'm sending I... you a link. There we go. I'm sending you a link to this logo. Now, if you look carefully at the Alaska Airlines logo, they don't just... It looks like a font, right? But look closely at the letters. It's actually hand-painted. Each letter is different from each other letter. Look at the two I's in the word airlines. They're completely different. 
Are they? Yeah, look at them. Enlarge it. Look at the dots over the eyes. Look at the little ridges on the side. Yeah. I think it's meant to suggest um, uh, speed, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. The, uh, the, the typeface is italicized, slant. It's going face. fast. Um, it's moving forward into the future. Uh, look closely. Read these words before they disappear. Right, right. And, uh, but you see, it's also it's, has it it's also calligraphic. Has, it's calligraphic, exactly. And it has. It's meant, a, it's meant to suggest both European and Eastern calligraphy. Yeah, but right. it's it's in it's in the in the shapes of the letters, it suggests Eastern calligraphy. But it also has a kind of North American Northwestern rough hewn quality, as if rather than using a calligraphy pen or brush, the writer was uh, carving it meticulously out of a log. Yeah, chopped it with a hatchet. Yeah. Maybe. Or or used a uh the side of a Temple of the Dog CD to <laughs> Yeah. That's it's <laughs> make nachos. Yeah. Nachos? <laughs> to make nachos. But here's the Next problem. in the morning zoo, cooking tips, using your <laughs> grunge CDs to make appetizers. <laughs> Uh, Are your chips too large? Use your Temple of the Dog CD. Cut that nacho chip in half. (laughs) Uh, Here's the problem with Alaska Airlines, though. They have a new logo that they're rolling out. This is not their... that's the old logo that we're looking that's, at? That's the, old, that's the old logo. And I, when I was flying Alaska Airlines on my book tour out to your neck of the woods, I, um, I tweeted about this. I put a little picture of the logo, and I said, look at this. It's a, it's a custom-drawn wordmark. It's not just a, a font. And uh, Alaska Airlines, as airlines tend to do, Alaska Airlines jumped in and said, hello, glad you like our wordmark. We've got a new logo. Roll it out now. And then you look at the new logo, and they've ruined it. They have smooth. It's roughly the same typeface, but they have smoothed out smoothed the edges and everything. And if you look at the two A's now in Alaska, they are identical in every way. They're, they're now using a font. When before, yeah. they had had a custom-drawn series of I like, I like the way that the, uh, the, the bottom leg of the K crossed over the... The, the final A of Alaska. No more. No. No more. That was the, originally. It was a, it was a demonstration of of uh, uh, of leg room and reclining seats. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that shows you what you <laughs> used to be able to do with your leg, and now it shows you what you must do with your leg from now on. Now you must bend your leg da- artificially downward. <laughs> uh, so if you're sort of half kneeling, like you're in like in a Latin, Latin mass or a black mass. Well, a black Latin mask, mass yeah. mask. Um, that that is significant. I would like to. We should bring this up with a a Terry Chunard type or a uh, Robert Bringhurst. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you. No, you don't want to <laughs> bring this up with a typesetter. A typesetter. Type yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, how? Uh... How was your so the travel well, here's, is here's, over? Here's, here's, I mean, so on civil aviation, which is a forum, <laughs> okay, there's a question: okay. Who's that guy on the Alaska tail? Yeah. Um, and here are some uh, some parts of the forum. Ordeon twenty eight says, "I've heard it's supposed to be an Eskimo. I guess you can consider him random. It's not of any significance that I'm aware of." <laughs> Why don't you send me the link to this? You know, 
This I had a similar conversation with Rian yesterday. We were driving down the Southern Tier Expressway, which is Route 17 slash 86, going through Southern New York State. Thank you. And um, the sign for the Southern Tier Expressway has some kind of silhouette on it. I'd never really realized it. What it was, I really noticed what it was. But it's a it's a Native American guy, and um, I'm 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 coming around to thinking this is kind of racist to have like a like a what would you call it a a a, a type physiognomy like a guy who's supposed to look like a Native American yeah. representing Native it's America. Weird. Yeah, it it is weird. Like imagine. Right. Represent- the, like especially logo representations of Native Americans look nothing like any Native American who ever walked the earth. Exactly, and not any that not I've now. met. Jesus, yeah. no. you know. And then I, you know, like imagine plugging other races in there. Like imagine if when you went through a predominantly African American city, you would see a highway sign with the silhouette of a, you know, of of the cliched white person's notion of what a black person looks like. It would be unbelievably racist. Been done, but it's old time. I mean, well, I mean, this is, um, I mean, this is the the Piccaninny image, the blackface image, the minstrelry, the uh, um, uh, the. This is a, a familiar thing to do, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it is precisely racist. I mean, it's <laughs> it's the visual stereotyping <laughs> of another race, particularly for one's capitalistic uh, needs Wait, and and his large signs to create a to create a. Uh, uh, a, a cult of racial stereotyping. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that said, actually, what, Rian's argument against my feelings about this were that when she was um, when her mother was sick back in spring, she was driving through the Southern Tier a lot back and forth to to visit, and there were some highway repairs going on on the reservation, which, by the way, are complete, and it's about the smoothest highway I've ever driven on. It was very pleasant over Thanksgiving. Uh, you had to get get off the highway, and there was a de- detour that was running through a small town on the, I guess it's the Allegheny Indian Reservation in central southern New York State. And uh, she said that all the iconography of native-owned businesses there were employing the, you know, what previously were thought to be the white person's cliched images of Native Americans wearing headdresses and so on. Uh, that iconography was prominently used in the businesses owned by Native Americans to advertise them. So she was saying she was arguing that maybe people have uh, sort of seized onto this iconography and re- readopted it and repurposed it. Yeah, is that possible? Possible. Should we should we get uh, Washuda in on this call to school us on Native American iconography? Well, it's a broad topic. Some of the uh, did you just call her broad? My God! I said it said it's a broad broad topic. The, oh, right. the uh, form suggests that his name is Chester. The form <laughs> also suggests that it is um, uh, Bob Marley, uh, Johnny Cash, and your mom are some of the <laughs> other suggestions from the form. <laughs> 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 you know, he she he does kind of look like a combination of the three. Suggests that he was a uh, uh, someone who looked who worked. They, well, they they all they all seem to settle on as just random um, stereotyped iconography, but uh, that maybe was a um, a guy who worked in livery. You know the uh, uh, 
baggage Ch- Chester uh, airplane in, uh, in Kotzebue. There's a rumor that he's named for Chester Sivak, who was an Inupiaq, who worked for Veen Air in Kotzebue. Where is that? Veen Air, like as in Vienna? Sure. Kotzebue <laughs> um, is far, far western Alaska. So not Vienna. A little... A little is what you're saying to me. A little town that kind of fascinates me. My friend Eddie Kim, his folks had a um, pizza joint in Kotzebue. Um, but it's uh, faces Russia. Um, little port. I think the port is open in uh, um, the summer. Yeah. I and mean, now that it's global warming, uh, might be open year round. Yeah. Kotzebue. Is that it's spelled? in America. K-O-T-Z. B-U-E. E-B-U-E, yeah. E-B-U-E. Kotzebue. Yeah. Kotzebue. Yeah. I think we mentioned it before on the on the podcast, actually. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Um, Kotzebue is no... the, last, the last poem in Rough Day. It's, it's oh, a, yeah, yeah. It's a discussion of Kotzebue. All right. Kind of an end-of-the-earth sort of place. All right. I knew I knew I'd heard about it before from you. I heard from you no. in your book of poems. I, uh yeah it does it does look like there's no definitive answer about who the guy on the tail is but i like the i like the chester of kotzebue uh kotzebue story so i'm gonna stick with that i'll link to the link to this delightful um civil aviation forum in the uh notes yeah the notes of the show um well that's a lot of time should we talk about uh should we talk about thanksgiving we just had a thanksgiving what did you do Drove out to uh, spend the spend the day with Rian's father. It's, fr- it's the first first year without Rian's mom. Yeah. So, yeah. and uh, Rian's dad is not accustomed to hosting, you know, events of any kind without her there. So, Rian and I said that we would we'd cook dinner. Um, so we you know we bought all the ingredients and packed them into bags and then drove out there and, and showed up in the morning on Thanksgiving and. Um, we stayed in the historic White Inn in um, uh, Fredonia, New York, um, where which is where we sp- spent our wedding night. Actually, still white, still white's own layer is that policy? <laughs> no, no, they've actually they've actually dis- expanded it to God help us, anyone who will pay, please, please, just pay us. Doesn't matter what you look like anymore. I just I just dropped a JPEG into the um, yeah into the uh, notes there. It's probably uploading at the moment. It is. Yeah. So anyway, I uh, <clears throat> but I, t- I took a bunch of photos of it and put them in a little collage for you to look at. Actually, I'll just I'll send you the um, I'll send you the link to the Tumblr post I put up that put the that put the photo on the internet. Um, it's definitely worth taking a look at. Here we go. It's coming. It's coming. Do they have, do they provide food at the White Inn? You'd think there was a dining room, but we we got up too late to partake, and there was just a very terrible continental breakfast. But um, I should add, this was Thanksgiving morning, so they may not have been serving breakfast Ooh. that day. So, I like the couch. Yeah, see, it's a faded, faded I'm elegance. Yeah, lots of floral wallpaper, lots of long hallways. Very. Uh, uh, this is in uh this is Russia, right? This is somewhere exactly. in Russia. It's very Barton Fink. Yeah. 
so anyway, um, we stayed there, and then in the morning we got up. We went over there and and started making food. But it turns out that the message did not get out that we were cooking all the food, and everyone else also brought dinner. So there were there was a huge, just enormous amount of uh, amount of vittles to yeah, eat. How many, were there multiple turkeys? Uh, no, we only did one turkey. So that message they must everyone must have thought that we were just making the turkey. Um, uh-huh. because there were ample other things. There were about five pies. Oh, nice. Most pies. of which we took home with us, so we're, we yeah. have pie in the house. There's pie in the house. Um, that's great. We yeah. made a... Jill made a, a pie. Were you home? Did you stay home in we Seattle? We went to Port Townsend, and, and I had we had a nice Thanksgiving dinner at my um, uh, publisher's house. Editor in public house in Port Townsend with uh, a lot of Port Townsendites, yeah. uh, maybe ten or fifteen people sitting around a, a table. Um, other had, other other Copper Canyon authors present? No, no. I was honored to be the the only one. It was it was a um, largely civilian affair for him. <laughs> okay, a lot of his friends from uh, just so from you town. Did, you didn't have to wear your Copper Canyon uh, uniform. And hat. I did. I had to wear the unitard um, <laughs> and the the tricorn um, hat and the um, the brace. <laughs> the, the brace, okay. And the uh, the ne- sock neck, garter. neck brace or back brace. Uh, to truss and uh, and a uh, uh, sock garter and uh, uh, earmuffs. Yeah, very good. Herbal that yeah. does. That sounds like a good poet getup, actually. So I wore it. Yeah. <laughs> wore it. But anyway, you so you had this dinner in Port Townsend. Nice, very nice dinner, and uh, they're all everyone who came was a good cook. So we had uh, a really nice turkey in which uh, uh, Michael's new uh, new friend Carol had had pureed bacon and some other things and injected that under the skin of the turkey. Whoa! That's right. Not bad. Not at all. By the way, my my father in law also has a new friend, Carol. Is that true? Yes, who shared dinner with us. Oh. Very nice lady. Were we at the same dinner? I don't think so. Well, you might have been in the other room. Is your is your is your father in law the editor of Copper Canyon Press? <laughs> he's, he, he's never said anything to me about it, but he wouldn't. Yeah, he's modest. Yeah. So how did how did that work out with the pure? Is the bacon pureed raw and injected as a as a fatty I don't know. Paste? I don't know. That's a we, good question. You'll remember when we when we had that uh, Thanksgiving out at Sealy Lake. Um, yeah, Reen and I were one of the people who made a turkey, and I had read somewhere that what you should do is slice slice uh, garlic like a. Uh, like poly and prison thin, you know, and yeah. then shove it up under the skin. So I spent about yeah. half an hour slicing garlic and shoving it as far up under the skin of the turkey that I could. And it was quite good, but it was it was labor intensive. I think you can just do a clove. Yeah. I think as the baking. I think you should always anytime you slice slicing garlic is always good. Yeah. yeah. Slicing it thin. Using a razor. That was smuggled in. That's <laughs> Yeah, we do that. We actually put whole cloves. I'll put like a whole fist of garlic. What's it called? A, a knot, a head. 
Uh, a head of garlic. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds weird. It all sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was a good turkey. There was a, we made the, this this pie, but not only was it a uh, a pecan pie, it was uh, our friend and former. Um, uh, I was about to say lunch lunchbox ghost, but who were the guests? Uh, Kate Lebo. Um, uh, uh, whiskey syrup pecan pie. With those, those are the three ingredients in the pie. Whiskey maple, whiskey maple pecan pie. Let's see this uh, recipe. I'm sending it to you. Please, please. So you remember, you remember Kate Lebo? She was with us on the um, uh, the Missoula. Festival of the Book podcast. Oh, right, right, of course. Oh, yeah, I liked her, her a lot. Book, her book. She's a poet and, uh, and a baker, and her commonplace book of pie yeah. has done very well. And she has uh, traveled around. She's judged pies at the Iowa State Fair, for example. Her, her bona fides are increasing. <laughs> She's a professional pie judge. She's you don't a pie want to judge. Serve you don't want to unwittingly serve pie to somebody like that, Jesus. I'd rather be a, I'd rather be a pie bailiff. <laughs> I judge. Just a pie clerk. <laughs> is pie bailiff going on the list? Of course, of course it is. <laughs> if for no other reason, that should be preserved for for um, posterity. So this this is a nice looking pie. I don't know um, how I feel about the little uh, bows um, around them. On it. Around them, but uh, the ingredients we've got: eggs, uh, pot pie dough, maple syrup, light brown sugar, butter, vinegar, rye whiskey, salt, and pecan halves. That's not not many ingredients. It's not a complex recipe. Not a very difficult. No, no more difficult than making your standard. Only you know an extra minute than just you know pouring in corn syrup. Oh, good. And there's, an, there's a recipe for the crust too. A, a very flaky pie. Right. We didn't make good. the crust. We used a store bought. I like that. I like that this uh, this article, which isn't written by Kate. It's um, no, this is uh, it's, what, yeah. it's just talking about her recipe. But um, it's uh, there's a there's a section um, entitled on lard, and that mm-hmm. the the di- there's been a distrust of lard that's now, but lard is now having its day. Lard's back. I still don't see it in the stores. I have to say, people are more free about using it, but uh, I'm not seeing it I in, once, great, in great quantities at the store. I once decided to, on a lark, figure out what item it, in the, in my local supermarket was farthest from the front door, and so I went all the way to the most distant corner and all the way up on the top shelf, and the answer was lard. Lard was yeah. the the farthest yeah. thing from the door, but maybe it's not anymore. Because well, this is this is definitely not the first. This is definitely not the first time I've heard about people using lard again. It sounds like it's it's definitely back in back in uh, uh, in favor. Well, it, the the um, the the result that you get, especially with the crust, is so extreme. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so much better for things for for certain baking things. What this writer uh, says. There's a reevaluation. There's a reevaluation of how bad fat is in food. The fat's not necessarily the the boogeyman. That the fat in food is not necessarily the same thing that translates to fat in the human body. Right. 
Yeah, I, 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 I think that since, um, since nutritionists have different opinions every 10 years and have my entire time on this earth, I just yeah. don't listen to anyone it anymore. Would, and I it would, eat, it would taste, I think Cheerios. That Cheerios. make me feel more or less good in moderate quantities and then take a lot of walks. Anyway, um, so yeah, the article is written by Marika Suval and she says on lard, um, it has less water, so it activates gluten less, and it has a higher boiling temperature than butter. So lard crusts hold their shape a bit better than butter crusts. Unlike shortening, which is mostly tasteless, lard is delicious with a sweet, mysteriously satisfying taste and scent that makes this pie crust my very, very favorite. Yeah. And she says, don't just buy any lard. Get leaf lard. It is a purer fat that pads a pig's kidneys. Called leaf because of the way it shears off in leaves as it's gathered. <laughs> gathered is, is really quite quite a euphemism there. Oh, we're harvesting the lard. Uh, cheaper lard tastes and smells like pork, but this one does not. It says leaf lard. Leaf lard. Leaf lard. Leaf lard. <laughs> leaf lard. Lard. <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's good so it was good thanksgiving yeah it was it was good it was good i was it was a little sad i mean i i sure i missed rian's mom and i think everybody did but uh and it's it was clear that uh you know rian's rian's dad was a didn't quite you know that because we were in, being introduced to his girlfriend and uh who who he started dating pretty much right away after his mom died which uh rian's mom died which was certainly fine with all of us um because he's not in the best of health himself, and I figure he can do whatever the hell he likes. Uh, but uh, overall, you know, had all the all the makings of major awkwardness. But instead, uh, it was actually quite pleasant, and we had a great time. And uh, and new friend Carol is a lovely person uh, who made some delicious food. And uh, uh, my kids got to see their their cousins, their girl cousins, who are their their same ages, down to like a month. Wow. Wonderful. So, Wonderful. Yeah. I but went anyway, out uh, you go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, uh, we haven't talked about it on the podcast because we haven't had a podcast, but my visit to Seattle was delightful. Oh, I'm glad and that you had I a good time. wanted to thank you for your companionship and for bringing me – what was the name, please, so that I can put it in the notes <laughs> of people, of that great Polish bakery that you brought me to near the guitar shop? Danish. Danish Lars Larson's Bakery Larson's Bakery on 80th and 15th or 24th 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 and 80th or 85th 80th 24th and 80th in Northern Ballard Loyal Heights Loyal Heights neighborhood <laughs> serving Larson's Ballard's Bakery 1974 uh Damn good bakery! I was delighted by the stuff that I. It's ate a there. great bakery. It's one of the great. It's one of the great bakeries, I think. Yeah, I know of no better bakery. I'll tell you that. Uh, since the, the they remodeled it, because everything in Seattle is getting remodeled because it's the boomingest city and the boomingest economy in the West. Facelift, getting a facelift, if you will. A facelift. So everything, the money is seems to be free for tearing down buildings or remaking things, and. Yeah. Uh, um, and so Larson's now looks a little bit like a ski lodge. Yeah. I mean, it's got, 
you know, walls with stone on them and open fires. And, uh, and that's fine. It's befitting it. It's appropriate to, it's a classy looking joint befitting its fact that it's a classy bakery. But it used it, to be, is it the like same location? Shop. Is it the same location it always was? Same location. It was about half the size. The, the retail was about half the size. You know, the, so the, the kitchen is now, I think, pushed back even further, got more of the building. But it was kind of donut shop level of decor up until a year ago. You know, yeah. kind of some fluorescent lights, nowhere really to stand. Um, you know, it was not taking pride in its appearance, but it was taking no, no small pride in its the appearance and, and quality of its baked goods. Baked goods. <laughs> baked. We've got a double shot of baked goods coming up for you. Yeah. Commercial free Wednesday. Half an hour <laughs> of baked goods. Nonstop. <laughs> Larson's Bakery. We had, I think we had, this, we had the smorkling. Or the... The, the smorkling? The faden pfeffer. A lot I don't of, know what the hell it was. They're all Danish... Danish delicious. It was uh, a French something. A, fr- a French. God, the, just the names of these things are spectacular. The the Raspberry Mazarine Square. Oh, the Smorkaka. That's what you were talking about. No, it wasn't yeah, that. It wasn't that. It was um, spe- specialties. I don't. I don't. I don't see it. So far, I don't see it on the. Um, I don't yeah. see it on the thing here. But really tasty. Um, it was a beautiful color, a French, it was like a waffle, a French waffle. Is that what they call it? Oh, it was. They called it a French waffle. French waffle. I had never, I had never seen that there before. No. Well, that's why I got it. I'd never seen it in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like a real treat. It was, it had a, it was filled with creme. Where? Creme, I say. Uh, Like a mascarpone sort of, was it, was it? Cannoli-ish. It wasn't like a cannoli. It was sort of flat. It had a um, no. It was more like a cake icing on the inside. Except it instead of being. I remember now because um, I was I was complimenting it to you. Um, uh-huh. Usually, when you have a pastry uh, with some kind of cream in it, the cream is a little gritty and it has a bit of a crust where it has dried along the edges. This cream was super soft and smooth and sweet and fresh tasting. It was really, it was really spectacular. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think it's on the website here, but it was certainly in the in the display case, and I certainly ate it. And Boston's then we went went down the street, uh, the next block, to a guitar shop that I wanted to go to, Mike and Mike's Guitar Bar, which um, right. they they write my one of my favorite favorite tumblers, um, okay. which is a you know a couple of posts a day of. Um, Couple posts a day of uh, of pictures of guitars that they're working on or that they have acquired and are trying to sell, um, or that of historical interest, and um, they write very articulately and entertainingly about guitars, which is kind of a rare thing if you're into guitars and you like to read about them. Most of the writing's not so hot, but they're really good at it. And uh, I wanted to stop in there, and we got to the place, the address, and there was no shop. There was nothing. But there was a there was a garage door that said yeah. guitar bar on it. it said so guitar we, bar on it in uh, hardware store lettering. Yeah, like paste so on lettering. We pounded on the we pounded on the door. 
And it knocked uh, nicely. It knocked nicely. We're no, yeah, no, we weren't pounding we were, as you know. Yeah, well, it's not like we were being chased. No, it was polite. <laughs> it wasn't like let us in. <laughs> we're yeah. being chased by a bear on the morning was, zoo. In fact, it's more of a, a timid, querulous knock. <laughs> like, like if they want, if they heard it but didn't want to be bothered, they could ignore right. it, like, and feel good about it. The animals have been released from their cages in the morning zoo, and we need to get out of here. <laughs> Open the garage door, guys. A bear is eating my leg. I'm being kicked repeatedly by a giraffe. It's a baby giraffe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, they open the door and uh, really and revealing really one of my favorite guitar shops I've ever seen. It was great. Every it was small. All guys were super friendly. It was uh, their living room? I think. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. uh, there was a lot of stuff, and it was all excellent. They had nice no gear. crap. They had no, no crap. So I had a banjo. Uh, yeah, did you? I can't remember. Did you play it? No, I touched it. I was afraid of it. I was afraid it would be very too nice. Yeah, they have a. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll link to their eBay store. Uh, if you ever want to buy any gear from them, you can trust that they've set it up real good. But they have uh, have a bunch, have a bunch of nice looking stuff in. Look at this. You took a, a close look at a jazz master. Yeah, a couple of jazz masters actually. They were. And I later saw them uh, post about fixing those up and selling them for thousands of dollars, more money than I had for a guitar. But it was it was great to uh, try them out and uh, and see them, touch them, feel them. But it was a, one of the things that was nice. It was a a uh, it was geared towards working musicians. It yeah. seemed who uh, were looking for uh, nice instruments to play rather than what a lot of the, the, you know, for just collectors or um, idle, uh, you know, idle amateurs. A lot of guitar stores and instrument stores, um, they're, they're selling things that they know are never really going to, might not ever really be played. Right. You know, no, was, especially yeah, with acoustic even... guitars, you know that they're, there's, they're, you can, you can you know, go to a place like in, in Seattle, Dusty Strings, where you have, you know, beautiful Martin guitars and other guitars that are, you know, Four thousand, five thousand dollars. You know that most of them are not going to be played to any degree that requires the great craftsmanship that has gone into them. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree, and that's, and I don't, I don't object to that kind of store. We have, there's a store in, here in Ithaca called Rumble Seat Music, and I think there's a branch of it in um, Brooklyn now too. A lot of things in Ithaca now have branches in Brooklyn, oddly, but, um, and they're a great store, and they're nice guys, but uh, they are mostly selling online to collectors so they have you know they have historic and vintage electric and acoustic guitars um the most valuable of which are behind glass and you have to ask to get them out and uh you are overseen as you play them if you do get them out and they're always they always have a photo shoot going on of something that they're going to sell for ten thousand dollars to somebody and it doesn't it's a great place but it's not the kind of place where you feel as a musician you can go in and knock around for an hour and maybe find an instrument that you're going to like and want to buy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's more like a place to bring your friend from out of town so he or she can ogle the, you know, ogle the expensive axes. Um, but this place, I, w- this place was definitely catering to the working musician, um, and uh, um, but everything was still of 
great quality. So uh, it was that was a totally delightful visit. Do you think that there were pawn shops in like ancient um, Scandinavia where Vikings would go take their friends to look at like really expensive axes that just sort of admire the craftsmanship, but you know, like oh, I never used that in an actual raid. Yeah, but I right. it's nice. It's too nice. Yeah, too nice for the Blood Eagle. <laughs> too nice for the Blood Eagle. Oh yuck! Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I don't think so. No. So it's a luxury then. Um, I think. I think. Um, yeah. I think that. Uh, I think that historic guitars came in around the same time as human neuroses came around. It's a. That's a connection. It's a, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a condition of of modern man. Did you all play your Felicia's uh, uh, Starry Mountain? Yeah. No release we, show. Yeah, we had a. We had a. The band had a CD release party that was also a book release party for me so the first set was just me reading a short story from the book and the second set was the band playing the entire album uh in order um we did we decided to do thank you um we decided to do a sort of unplugged show because felicia's is small it's very i can't remember did i ever take you there (laughs) i don't think so no it's it's very living room yeah i haven't been to ithaca for a while yeah um, it, might, it might have been 10 years jesus really did i make it out there i don't think i made it out there when i was in dc was it the no it was the, the last time you came was when um jill and i came through on the train or the bus we we did that little photo show photo and poetry show together you and i remember that oh that was yeah that was maybe 2009 2010 yeah, yeah that's um, right but it was that was a while ago but it wasn't 10 years ago you're thinking of the and then there was the first time you came when the thing that I remember most distinctively about it was when you and Rian both made jokes about Mary Kay Letourneau. <laughs> Mary Kay Letourneau, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were calling the baby, we were saying to the baby, uh, well, aren't you just a little turnover? You're a Mary Kay Letourneau. And then you showed up, and the next day, we were playing Risk, and you said, it's my turn now. It's my <laughs> Mary Kay Letourneau now. <laughs> Great she minds, was, man. She was, it was in the zeitgeist. So there was the Eterno zeitgeist. <laughs> it wasn't even. It wasn't even. Uh, it wasn't even up to date news. You just no, ha- both happened old. to be. Yeah, yeah. It was old news. You just happened to be thinking about Mary Kay Letourneau. Think about her all the time. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, Felicia's is kind of a living room like, and we had decided that since we'd had some luck playing little sets at parties and most notably at the um colgate writers conference back in june with acoustic guitars and it was really fun and that way you know we ended up concentrating on our singing instead of on the our loudness there's a lot of harmonies it's a lot of singing so we figured it would be fun to play that way the problem was uh and it's a good problem to have the place was packed lots of people came i was totally delighted about it um but the room was so loud uh and that we could we couldn't be heard. And when we tried to turn the mics up, it was feeding back, and we ended up having to plug the acoustic guitars into the mixer, which didn't sound great. But in the end, it worked out fine. People bought the CD and the book, and everyone had a great time. So Do you wish you just done it electric? Um, no, there was no good was solution. A, yeah, 
I, I wish we'd plugged into the, guitar, the guitars to begin with, uh, or at least done a mellow electric set instead of a straight-up acoustic set. Um, I think that would have been the way to go. But we just we just didn't know what it was going to be like. And I made the call that we were going to mic the guitars instead of plugging them in, and that, that didn't work. That's great. Do you also read in New York City with our friend David Gilbert? I did. I understand. Yeah. Uh, it was it was great fun. He was hilarious. He and uh, cr- cruelly mocking as he tends to be. Yes. He um, the the one time he humiliated me. I'm sure I've, ta- I've I know I've talked about it on the podcast because someone um, I can't remember who it was an old student of mine uh, said that I talked about it on the podcast. The the time that uh, I I spent money on a terrible Reuben sandwich and was upset about the seven dollars I spent and that. And that Dave made fun of me for, for my how how wounded I was by the bad sandwich. By he Reuben? brought it up again and mocked me for it again. <laughs> the seven, the Reuben. Yeah, for the Reuben. Yeah. Well, I, I think I, I think it's all right to take Reubens personally. I wouldn't take, you don't need to take all food personally, but certain foods, if you get a bad one, you should hold a. There's no, there's no inappropriate overreaction. I think a bad Reuben. <laughs> <laughs> Burned down a whole village. You know that story, Michael Kohlhaas, by Heinrich von Kleist. Oh, you! I bought it. You told me to buy it, and I bought it, and I haven't read it yet. Kohlhaas, or like the selected von Kleist? No, the Kohlhaas. The, like, Kohlhaas. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, I think I can't remember what the original insult is. It's like a horse trade gone bad, and he ends up destroying an entire like all of germany i like that storyline i think a reuben it'll also be an appropriate reason to escalate <laughs> to uh, uh a pogrom well the problem was it wasn't a goddamn reuben because it was, it was lacking open faced roast beef sandwich covered with gravy in a pool of gravy that is not a reuben it wasn't even thousand island dressing no that is some bullshit. Yeah. It's not the seven dollars. That's the problem. <laughs> it was a dollar. It would be upsetting. It's the offense against sandwiches that's the problem. I was embarrassed though because uh, because uh, because they, you know I I could it, it's it was clear that the wound is still fresh, and I allowed Dave to see that the wound was still fresh, and he yeah. and he pounced, and so my food was the last to arrive at this bar that we were all eating at and I at one moment like got up to go and pee and my food finally came when I was in the men's room and when I came out they had Dave and Dave and my former students he my former students had ganged up with Dave against me and hidden my food and then when I came back they continued to mock me for not having yet eaten my food when they were all satisfied and then finally they they they, un- they, you know, they revealed the, the food and they, you know, slapped me on the back and laughed and laughed. And then we all rode the subway home. Funny joke in silence. You know what and Dave no- read? Dave read one of his workshop stories from grad school. From, oh, yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was terrible in a really kind of precocious and charming way. In the way that Dave's early stories were, they were very kind of Stanley Elkinish, you know, kind of over yeah. the top. Um, uh, crass silliness, yeah. Um, but it was the one about zippy, funny. Yeah, it was the one about. Um, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. His presentation of it 
his sort of meta presentation of it was really really funny. Um, but the story itself was pretty funny too. It was the one about Grundy, the fashionable plumber, yes, wearing remember, the velvet I, gloves and boots. Yeah. Yes, I remember this. Yeah, he yeah. he read that. He read that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. What have That's you good. sent me? You've sent me. Something. I sent you a, 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 the IMDb page <laughs> to the great film Ruben Ruben. Have you ever what seen Ruben Ruben? No. It's about a Scottish poet. It's one of the best movies about a poet. Um, it's up there with uh, um, Henry Fool and Total Eclipse in Wait, uh, films Total about Eclipse. poets. What about uh, that's uh, the Leonard DiCaprio uh, Rimbaud movie? Oh. <laughs> Are you not familiar with that? That no. um, phenomenon? Leonard DiCaprio's Arturo Rombo. Rombo. Rombo? Rhombosis? He dies of... of uh, uh, he gets some thrombosis in his leg. <laughs> uh, so Ruben Ruben. Tom Ruben Conti. Ruben. As, the, it, as the drunk uh, Scottish poet. Is it better Very or good. worse than uh, Fine Madness? What's Fine Madness? Fine Madness is starring... Um, Gene Seberg is the female lead, and the male lead yeah. is Sean Connery. Oh, I never saw it. Let me, uh, f- I'll find that. Here it is. On, uh, I'll send you my own IMDb. You're talking about Fine Mess, the Abbott and Costello retrospective? <laughs> it, is not, it is not that. That is a different thing. Another Fine um, Madness you've gotten us into. Here you go. Here's Fine Madness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> so um here's the here are the c- comparative plot summaries of a fine madness in Ruben Ruben. Ruben Ruben, a drunken Scottish poet who hasn't written a word in years, feels compelled to regain control of his life and work after meeting a beautiful young woman. Fine madness. Samson Shilito, mad genius of a poet irresistible to women but plagued by writer's block. He's also a drunk, by the way, agrees to see a psychiatrist and his beautiful wife. That's that. There's definitely, um, there's definitely some ambiguity, syntactic ambiguity there. He agrees to see a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist's beautiful wife. Not agrees to see a psychiatrist and also agrees to see his own beautiful wife. It's confusing. It's very confusing. Yeah, you can see the drama. I already though, poet irresistible to women, already just this. This why why. Do you have a problem? You have a problem with the redundancy. <laughs> oh, well done. Good volley. Good volley. Very good. Speaking of uh, poems, I, I spent a small business Saturday and yesterday volunteering um, as a bookseller at uh, Open Books, the, bo- the poetry bookstore here in Seattle. I love Open Books. It's a great place. I spent three hours there yesterday with other volunteer booksellers, Marid Zahir. Uh, Don Michai and uh, Elizabeth Austin. Great. And with the four of us and the two booksellers, John and Christine, who own the place, we outnumbered um, uh, customers all the time <laughs> and uh, overwhelmed them. Right. Uh, but often sent people off with uh, um, five or six books. So it was, it was successful. Oh, good. Good. I was going to ask if you'd moved to. It was nice any- spending. Spending a lot of time in there because I never get to spend. There's no, you cannot spend too much time in this bookstore because even though it's a fairly small room, poetry books are small, and so a a, a shelf of poetry books is 
you know, about five shelves of fiction, normal sized books. Right. You know. Oh, uh, you just called fiction normal. Normal sized. <laughs> Fun sized books. Novels. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it was it was fantastic. I got to see a lot of a lot of a lot of people and talk poetry a lot. We learned that Mark Strand had died. Yeah. So in the last month, uh, poetry has lost Carolyn Kaiser, Galway Cannell, and Mark Strand. And I think yeah, it's really it's rough. Just going to continue rolling because there's all these fine poets who were born between about 1926 and 1929 who are now in their mid to late 80s and are, uh, have already have already beaten the odds and are now um, yeah being cut loose. Merwin is not in great health. Um, he's got to be 90, too, Merwin. Well, he's almost 90. I think he was born in 26. I think he's 88. Yeah, he's 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 ailing. Yeah. I think. Uh, uh, respectfully, he won't. There are details to that. But he's, he and his wife are both ailing. Uh, Gerald Stern is old, but still rolling. I mean, some people will keep going till they drop. A lot of people are still writing. I think is Wilbur's still alive. Richard Wilbur's still alive. I think he's almost a hundred. I don't know. Yeah. And um, uh, crime crime writing lost P. D. James the other day. James. Yeah. yeah, I was not happy. But so, about that. so we were <clears throat> uh, looking at all these books of the uh, uh, of, of the lost. One odd thing with with Strand, you know, I know his. Um, I heard the the there's a. A thing on the radio this morning, um, saying that he had had, had died. Uh, mentioning his, you know, he survived by, and they're they're leaving out people. They're, he says survived by his partner and and, and a daughter. But there's a uh, this is a little too gossipy for podcast, but but I was thinking how odd it is when an obituary leaves people out, and you sort of know yeah. that it's not mentioned. You know, maybe because of divorce or family, but uh, seems obituaries are, are by definition cruel because yeah. they're about writing about somebody who's dead who's not there to defend themselves, but, and somebody had to die for it to happen. Of course, There's always some gloating in an obituary. An obituary writer is really just a demonstration of "ha ha, I beat you." <laughs> I actually wrote your obituary eight months ago, and all yeah. I had to do was paste it into, into an email. All I had to do is press send. Yeah. All I had to do is my, 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 obituary, my obituary computer has a button, a special <laughs> button for you. <laughs> um, but there were three books that I'd like to uh, recommend to you or anybody. Okay. Or three poets, at least. Um, okay, Mark No, Mark Nowak, Novak, Nowak, Nowak. Novak probably. Coleman and Elementary. And we also Ethel Adnan. Ethel Adnan. Here's a uh, Lebanese American poet. Here's her website. Is that me? Very good. I sent you the website. Because she's also uh, an artist, and I thought that you would, I think you would find this, this writer interesting. She's a poet, and she also wrote some novels and some nonfiction, and she's also a very fine 
abstract painter um, and a figure who is new to me, but should not have been new to me, and I don't think should be new, should be very well known figure in and among those who care about good things. It sort of seems like a little like Tove Jansen. In very a, good. In a in a in the way of being good at many different things and only recently becoming better known in the English speaking world. Yeah. Um, even in fact, in something in the tone and a kind of, uh, uh, agile, uh, it's hard to describe. I like these collage looking, are they in fact collages? Um, they, they look like torn paper landscapes. I think so. These are quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, and here's here's the if one is really interested in this book, to look at the sea is to become what one is, is the is a new collection, um, edited by Brandon Shimoda, the young poet, um, who went who went to Beirut or Syria wherever she was, to meet her, um, and uh, I think just to meet her, yeah, and uh, led to this two beautiful two volume set of of uh, kind of a selected poems uh, with some of her art well reproduced. Um, looks, looks like a lovely book. It's a lovely book. And I almost bought it. Don, me, and I were sort of uh, trying to get the other person to buy it because one of us had to, it seemed like. But it was $44. For both. Of an For both, yeah. You want, you want the two of them. Um, Really great poetry. Really, really magnificent. I wish that there were some more samples of it available, but I couldn't find much. Uh, and you sent me one other link here. Uh, Wong Mei. Wong Mei. Wong Mei. Um, another poet, another older woman uh, who writes in English and is an American poet who lives elsewhere. I mean, yeah. Edel Adnan is from Lebanon. Let's we'll time between Sausalito, California, and and uh, Lebanon. Um, and Wang Mei is uh, born in China. I think she went to school in Singapore, lived in the States for a while, published, I think she went to Iowa and things like that in the 60s and 70s. And since then has lived maybe in Germany, and now I believe she lives in Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, published... Uh, six or seven books. I had never heard of her until about a month ago. And uh, Octopus Books published this uh, selection of her poems from 78 to the present. Um, and there are three or four books from before this that are uh, that I'm trying to get a hold of. Uh, her first book from 1969 is um, a, a great title. Um, a Bad Girl's Book of Animals. That's good. That's good. It's tremendous. And the only copy that I know of in the area of the, my friend Jane has, uh, um, in a library, loaned it from the Oregon State Library. <laughs> so I will find a copy of it. Make a PDF of that. Uh, Wong Mei. Yeah. This, this poem, I've important. been re reading, reading this poem, um, this poem that's right on the on the web page 
yeah. the Octopus Books webpage that you sent me called um, Given Two Persons. And the, mm-hmm. the first stanza is, given two persons alone together in a room, chances are one of them would have invented torture. Yeah. And goes on to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Quality stuff. Uh, I Do I have any recommendations for books for you? You're the one who always recommends books. Um. I, yeah, guy. yeah. I'm on a I'm on a kick. Um, oh, that reminds me. Your friend Mark Halliday wrote to me because yes. oh. uh, his his wife is um, he and his wife are putting together an issue of the uh, Ohio, Ohio Review, Ohio something review, Ohio Review um, or New Ohio Review. I think New yeah. New Ohio Review. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Um, and they asked a bunch of fiction writers to write short essays about dialogue and thought that oh. I might might be able to write one of them. So I did. Um, uh, and, uh, they're, they're going to print it. Uh, so I'm happy about that. But, um, the reason I, I immediately said yes, was that I had been reading, um, Janet Malcolm, um, the journalism of Janet Malcolm include, especially, uh, the journalist and the murderer and, um, which is a great true crime and book that is actually really about, uh, these, both of these books could have been subtitles, varieties of American narcissism. Um, and the other one is in the Freud archives, which is a bunch of people obsessed with Freud arguing with each other and eventually arguing with Janet Malcolm and eventually suing Janet Malcolm. Uh, but it all, what it all comes down to is, um, that, uh, uh, when you trans, she has this great passage about a journalist transcribing an interview into convincing speech because both of these books consist primarily of just these people talking to each other and about each other. And um, let me find the quote. Um, here it is uh, from the from the piece that I that I wrote. I quote her saying, uh, this is me quoting her, Janet Malcolm warns of the danger of journalists transcribed speech. Nobody likes the way they sound transcribed, even if, especially if the transcription is exact. And here's the quote, the literally true, she writes, may actually be a kind of falsification of reality. When we talk with somebody, we are not aware of the strangeness of the language we are speaking. Our ear takes it in as English, and only if we see it transcribed verbatim do we realize that it is a kind of foreign tongue. Um, So she gives an example in the afterword to the journalist and the murderer, the difference between directly uh, verbatim transcribed recorded speech and the version of that same speech that ended up in the book. And they're drastically different, but the second one, we can imagine, conveys better the the tone and sense of what the person was actually saying when they were recorded. And a lot of the information that you get out of speech does not come from the words and the order that they're in. It comes from other things. Which then the journalist, or in my case, the fiction writer, has to transcribe using only words, but still evoking the things that the attendant elements provide, such as body language, tone, volume, uh, emphasis, prior prior understanding between the speakers, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And uh, I think the, th- the thing that I, I think the, the, the main way students who are just starting out at fiction writing fail when they write dialogue is they actually have people saying what they mean and responding to what each other say. 
Right. Which uh, nobody's ever done. Which, which no one has ever done. Or, yeah. you know, you, to a certain extent, you're going to do a little bit of that. But a lot of it is simply plan, planning the next thing you're going to say or um, mo- moving your agenda forward, even if you don't even realize you have an agenda. Do you enumerate those those uh, those, those aspects in, in what you wrote? Because you, you put together a nice little list there of, of things that uh, that the writer must consider. Or is that, or is that part of Janet's um, album? No, no, that was, that was from... What I say is... It's very composed. Okay, what I say is, I think I was sort of quoting myself from memory. Uh, Here's the the bit. I do that. The words we say in conversation convey at best 25% of what we mean. And then there's a footnote saying that I just made that figure up. With the remaining 75% taken up by body language, volume and tone, facial expression, prior understanding between parties. The fiction writer has access to these conversational elements, of course, and may fill in backstory, provide stage direction, and apply, judiciously, Lord help us, descriptive dialogue tags to convey the intended meaning. But a good writer can evoke the character of a speaker, his or her intended and actual meaning, and even very subtle contextual clues using only the words within quotation marks. Among the tools the writer has at her disposal when writing dialogue, sentence length, punctuation, rhythm, along an axis of consistency from entirely smooth to completely broken, syntax and diction, specifically its breadth, expressive sophistication, and degree of formal correctness. The reader should be able to understand who is speaking in the same way that he requires no assistance to identify by sound alone the voices of his friends in a crowded room. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice. And it's this is the first time anyone's ever asked me to just write a four hundred to eight hundred word essay on a top on a particular topic to just simply yeah. riff for a page or two. And yeah. it's really fun. I wish more people would ask me to do that, and perhaps I should assign it to myself. There's an invitation for any listener who wants John to riff on for four hundred to eight hundred words on the morning zoo. <laughs> morning zoo riff <laughs> on techniques of fiction. Oh, wait it's Fiction Friday, <laughs> Morning Zoo. We're discussing methods of characterization. Double shot of the elements of scene. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Well, then we'll give you some lunch. Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well, then come. It's time for lunch box with Ed and 